Uh, now, in life, I don't know about you, but uh, we all like something that's relevant to us. Relevant to us. Life is too busy, isn't it, to waste time on stuff that's just irrelevant. Uh, that's what I'm like. Anyway, I don't know if that's what you're like. That's what I'm like. So for someone like me, I love cricket. Okay? If the cricket's on the television, it's relevant. It's definitely relevant. Whereas horse racing, you know, the Melbourne Cup's coming up, you know, can't stand horse racing. It's completely irrelevant. Change the channels. It's the same kind of with books, you know, if someone lends you a book or gives you a book, I want to know, is it worth me spending all those hours reading it? Is it relevant? Is it relevant to me or is it just so happened to be something you're, you're, you're just interested in? Relevant to you, not to me. Because uh, life's too, time, too short to waste on time that's, uh, uh, stuff on time that's irrelevant. Um, now, being relevant and not wasting time on irrelevant stuff, there, there is a problem with thinking like that. Uh, I'm hoping you're edging and feeling it already. And, and it, it's all around how we define what's relevant. Often what is relevant to you or relevant to me, what is relevant is the stuff that I'm busy with or the stuff in life I'm already involved in. Or just the stuff I like and have interest in. Which means what is relevant becomes very me-focused. It's about me and the things I'm doing and the things I'm interested in and the things I'm thinking about. That's what's relevant. And so if I love horse racing, then anything to do with the horse racing is relevant. If I love my job, anything that's going to help me do my job better is relevant. And, and you can see the problem there, isn't it? Is that... What if? What if it's something that's outside of what I'm interested in? Something that's outside of what I'm busy with, that is actually very, very important. But I'm just too busy and caught up in other things to notice it, and I just go, oh man, it's irrelevant. You know, what if in my little world and my little view of what is relevant misses something that's very, very important? Then the problem is me. And allowing my little world to control my view of what's relevant to me. Now people have done that and they put God in the irrelevant box. Not relevant to me. Not interested. People have done that with even the things that God has said. Even Christian people at times can become so preoccupied with their day-to-day problems that are just immediately before them. That that's the only thing that they see is that is relevant to them. And then they go on living life neglecting much of what God has to say. And of course, added to these problems about my little world controlling what is relevant to me, added to that problem is the whole issue of confirmation bias. Uh, what I mean by that is if, if all that is relevant to me is the stuff I'm already involved in, that affects me in my situation right today. If the only stuff that is ever relevant is stuff that's well, I'm into already, then how is my life ever going to change? Because I only ever listen to what I deem is relevant to me, which I'm already interested in, and it just confirms me in my bias, confirmation bias. Now, this whole issue, I hope you can see, of relevancy and what is relevant, I think is a deeply important issue to grapple with, and I'm glad it, it, that, well, I think this passage today actually helps us grapple with it well. Because today we're going to meet a lame man, who can't walk. And he comes to Jesus. And I reckon in his little world, he would have been preoccupied with one thing. I want to walk. And I wonder, I just wonder if someone had come up to him that day and said, 
Hey, do you want to come and hear a man speak about the forgiveness of sins? I wonder if the man would have, the lame man would have gone irrelevant. Go and listen to a man speak about that man. I can't walk. It's too much trouble for me to get there in the first place. And anyway, how is that even remotely going to help me in my situation? Irrelevant. Now, thankfully, Jesus takes this man from his worldview and he widens it up immensely and he gives him something that's far, far more important than just walking. In fact, this encounter of Jesus with this lame man actually helps everyone to see what is the most relevant thing in their life. And I think it's a big challenge for him and it's going to be a big challenge for us as we think about what's important and relevant in our lives. But before we get to the paralyzed man, which I think is the real centerpiece of this, this little uh, chapter 5 uh, here in Luke's Gospel. Luke actually highlights a couple of other encounters with Jesus first, which I think highlight the same issue. So come with me to the first encounter there in Luke chapter 5 verse 1. Grab your Bibles open. Uh, Luke chapter 5 verse 1. Uh, this scene starts like this. Scene 1. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, if you've been with us last week as we've been um, going through Luke's gospel, you'd actually go, gee, this, this verse makes a lot of sense. Of course it fits here. Because we've seen that Jesus has made very clear priorities, that he's come actually to teach people about the kingdom of God. That's his clear priority. It's, it's so clear, wasn't it? Because remember, he could heal people, anything that people had, any disease that they had at all, he could heal it, he could fix it, he could genuinely do those kind of miracles. That's why crowds of people were coming to him. And so we observed that last week, isn't it, that here is Jesus at the age of 30 with that kind of power to heal. He could have given his life over to emptying hospitals all around the world. He could have given his life over to increasing the life expectancy and the enjoyment of life and the quality of life of millions of people. And yet, he doesn't do that, but instead gives himself over to teaching and preaching about God and the forgiveness of sins and the kingdom of God. He is so focused on making sure that everyone gets to hear the good news that he's come to bring about the kingdom of God, that he is prepared to leave people sick in one town, to leave, a, to leave behind a quota of suffering of people that he didn't get to heal, didn't have time for, to go on to the next town so that he can speak to them also. He is willing, in other words, to leave behind a quota of need because he's come to deal with the biggest need of all, the need for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's no surprise, is it, that when you get to chapter 5, in the very next scene, after having walked away from some people who are suffering, what is he doing? Oh, he's now by the lake at Garrisonette and he's, he's preaching. And it's great that there's quite a large crowd there. It's actually too large for him to just stand on the shore and address them all. So there's a guy there with a boat, a fisherman who's cleaning his nets, and he asks the guy, can we use your boat? And they just put the boat a little bit out in the water so more people can get to the water's edge. He can be a bit elevated. More people can hear. That's what's going on here. And Jesus teaches them. And when he's finished teaching the crowd, he speaks to the owner of the boat, a man by the name of Simon Peter, who we'll hear lots of in the rest of the gospel account. And he asks Peter to go out into deep water. He says, let's go out to deep water and do a spot of deep sea fishing. And uh, if you've been listening carefully to Luke's gospel at that point, you go, this is a bit odd. Here is Jesus who, um, who leaves behind sick people 
And yet now he's saying to Peter, let's go and do a spot of deep sea fishing. Hey, isn't that, that's an odd thing to do. What, what, what in the world is he doing this for? It's an odd moment. And even more odd when Luke gives us the details. Because as, as he said, let's go out and uh, into the deeper water and put the nets down. You hear in verse 5, look at verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught a thing, anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now Peter, who's here, Simon Peter, and he's got a brother, Andrew, who's present. Uh, a bit later on, you'll hear of James and John who are there as well. It's very clear that you know, fishing is their job. They are professional fishermen. So they know when the fish are on. They know what a good catch is. They will know what an exceptional day fishing is. And they've actually spent a whole night out at sea fishing, and these professionals couldn't catch anything. And yet, they're willing to put the boat out just because Jesus says so. And so they go out and, you know, and they were willing to put the boat out and they were willing to put the nets down. And you know what? I bet they were willing to pull the nets up when they saw the catch of fish that was coming in. And what's so interesting about this scene is they pull those nets in and it's so full of fish that, 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 that yeah, they're filling two boats and now the boats are sinking. What's amazing is not so much the catch, but look at Peter's response to Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he, he and his companions were all astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. You see, like I say, they knew a good catch. They knew an extraordinarily good catch. And so no doubt they knew what a supernaturally good catch of fish was. And so Simon Peter here, in an instant, in an instant, sorry, recognized something something of Jesus' majesty in this moment. And, in, and as he recognized that, Simon Peter, with great clarity, immediately knew what was relevant. See, for a professional fisherman like this, with a catch of fish like this, you'd imagine what he immediately sees as relevant is the business opportunity. Hey, Jesus, let's go into business, you and me. We could we, we could we could do this well. We could be what was that you know the world's you know the world's best fisherman that kind of scene in the kids' talk you know that could be us. Surely, in his own little worldview, with his view of what was relevant for him, that would be the thing to ask. That would be the thing to say. But notice what he does say. He doesn't say let's go to business. He says, Jesus, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that he says that? It's extraordinary because what he realizes is immediately relevant. Is his unworthiness? Is his sinfulness? Is just how unclean he is before a holy God? And it is, uh, it's important to notice, isn't it, that in the Bible, this, this kind of scene is not isolated. If you've been with us uh, over the last couple of months, you'll remember that we've you know, recently finished our series in the book of Isaiah. And I know it's some time ago now, but hopefully you remember that time when Isaiah had a glimpse of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, where he was there in the temple and he had a vision of God. And he saw something of the majesty of God because he was in the temple. He'd been there. It's the biggest building around, right? But then what he notices is that as he has this glimpse of God, this vision of God, that God's, the robe, just the robe, just the hem of the robe, sorry, of God's temple, completely filled of God's uh, God, yeah, I've completely filled the temple, 
And what he realized, God was so big and so blindingly perfect and so glorious and so majestic and so powerful. He even noticed that the the, the heavenly creatures attending God, the seraphim, they couldn't bear the holiness of God. They themselves were shielding their eyes. And poor old Isaiah, it was too much for him when he had a glimpse of the divine. And what did he say in that moment? Well, let me get my camera out and take a photo. Or can I move closer to, the, to God to have a closer look? Get the, what does he say? It, it'll be there on the screen. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he said, Woe to me. I cried, for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So you get a glimpse, just a glimpse of the Almighty God. And what immediately becomes relevant to you in your life is your sin. Which is another word to say your, your rejection of God, your impurity before God, your, your unworthiness to be in his presence. You get a sense that, you know, I've got standards in my own life and I don't even live up to my own standards. And here I am in the presence of a perfect God as if I live up to his standards. And you get an instant feel of the unworthiness and the need for forgiveness that you have. And that's Simon Peter. He sees this miraculous catch of fish. He knows it's not natural. He knows this is supernatural. He knows that Jesus is not just a mere human. He may not, at this point in time, really have nailed exactly what the Trinity is and the Godhead, you know, and Jesus being. But he has had a glimpse of the of, of the divinity in Jesus. And what is immediately relevant is his own sinfulness. And how does Jesus respond to him? Look at what he says. Look what Jesus says to Peter in verse 10. Simon Peter, he says, And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Oh, yes, Peter, you are unworthy. Yes, you actually have every right to be afraid. But Peter, Peter, there are people out there, human beings, who are far, far more important than these fish. And what is relevant for them too is their sin, is their rejection of me. We need to go fishing for them. And this is why Jesus was willing to go on the deep sea fishing trip, wasn't it? To teach, again, to teach about the importance of the kingdom, to teach this lesson about the need to fish for human beings. And, and Peter, understanding now what is relevant, and not just him, but James and John and Andrew as well, they can see what is the relevant thing here, and they leave behind the amazing catch of fish. And they leave behind their business and their work. And they literally just up and leave and follow Jesus to go fishing for people. It's an extraordinary scene. And as you focus in on this scene, I think the question that you ought to be thinking, that I ought to be thinking about, I think is, is precisely the same question that Peter, James and John and Andrew were thinking about, which is, well, what is the most relevant thing in my life? For these men, they could now see that their business, their work, perhaps even their family, it seems, as they, as, as they left that too, those things were less important than what Jesus was on about. That the fishing for people, the winning of people to Jesus became the most pressing and the most relevant thing in their life. And I do wonder if it's worth you considering your own life and going, 
what is the most pressing and relevant thing in my life? Is it this? Or have I just got a little worldview that's, well, what's pressing to me is, you know, who won the footy last week? Well, Jesus gets to work fishing for people straight away. And the rest of the chapter unfolds, and it's interesting to see, actually, the kinds of people he fishes for. The first one we meet is a leper. And a leper comes to Jesus, begging him for help, and there's urgency in his voice. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now this, this man has heard about Jesus. He's worked out Jesus can heal and that Jesus can make me clean. And he knows Jesus can do it. But interestingly, he's just unsure if Jesus is willing to do it. And I think if you look at Jesus, look at Luke's gospel, it's actually not an unreasonable question that he asks. Because Jesus has told us that he's come to preach. That's his priority. Come to teach about the kingdom of God. He can heal. He can clearly do it. So the issue is not can he do it, the issue is will he do it? And this man begs, if, if you are willing. And I think what happens next is just one of the reasons you've just got to love Jesus because people with authority often misuse it, they often just use it for themselves, often really just think about their authority solely in the realm of the priorities that they have personally. And here is Jesus who has authority and has priorities but he is so good and so kind and so compassionate that he feels for those who are hurting and he just, it just wells up in him. And verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And you'd think the leper, I mean, he would be a happy man, right? Being an enormously happy man. And you'd think he'd probably respect Jesus' authority. But there is a hint here that that even though Jesus then asked him not to tell everyone, but actually rather to go and show yourself as the Old Testament law required to the priest as a, uh, that you are now clean of your leprosy, there is a hint here when it, in the word but, but it's actually clearer in, in Mark's account of this, that the man didn't say silent, but actually told everyone about him getting healed and news about Jesus' healing spread everywhere rather than news of his teaching spread everywhere. And as it spreads everywhere, clearly the news, well, it really does get everywhere because it even gets to the big smoke, you know, the capital city of Jerusalem. And uh, they are keen to come down and have a look what's happening. And you get a sense of that at the start of the next scene. Because look at, look at verse 17. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, uh, One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, and from Judea, and then notice, and Jerusalem. Oh, Jesus has got, yeah, this time it's not just local people or local teachers of the law who were there. This time, the teachers of the law from the big smoke have come down. People from the capital city, professional theologians, experts on God, officials from the temple, they come to hear what Jesus has got to say to make some kind of authoritative assessment on what he's doing. And Jesus is well aware of this, and he's found a spot to teach because that's what he's come to do, and he starts teaching them. The spot he's found, it looks like it's a house of some sort, hopefully a large one, but the place there is so crowded. 
because not only are the teachers from all over the place there, but there are they're just huge amounts of people. The place is just so full, so full that actually there's no room for anyone even to squeeze in. So eager is this crowd to see him and and to hear what he's got to say. And it's while he's um, it's while he's teaching in this crowded room that you get this scene with the paralysed man. Because the paralysed man, like the leper, he too wants to see Jesus. He too is desperate. And there's no way for him to get in. But his friends take some drastic action. Look at verse 18. It says, Some men carrying a paralysed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And I do want you to, as you imagine that scene in your mind, this guy getting lowered down right in front of Jesus, I do want you to feel the awkwardness of this moment for Jesus. It's actually, actually, I really think it's a genuinely awkward moment because this paralyzed man has just kind of been dumped right in front of him, right in the middle of him teaching. What an interruption to his priority of what he's come to do. It's a really big interruption. And the pressure is on here. The pressure is on Jesus to stop preaching and do a bit of healing, to get on with things in this way. And it's a tricky moment because if he does heal the man, the crowd would probably remember nothing of what he said. It's a bit like this morning. Now, I can't, if, if I could do a miracle, like I can't. But if someone here was sick, there's a leper here, and I healed a leper and they had no more leper, I tell you what, none of you are going home talking about the sermon and what I taught you. None of you are. You're all going home talking about the miracle. That's what you're going home talking about. That's why it's a tricky moment. Jesus come to preach. If he does the miracle here, no one's going to be talking about what he taught. What's he going to do? Well, what he does, look at verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. It's an astonishing moment particularly given what he says. He actually is going to use this moment as a teaching opportunity, which is, which is why it's how clever he is. But I want you to feel the astonishing moment of this by imagining yourself to be the paralyzed man. Imagine the grief of losing the ability to walk. And I don't know how long he's been paralyzed for, but you can imagine just longing for being able to walk again. And you hear that Jesus is in town. You've heard that he's been able to do all sorts of things. And you've got some really good friends, right? And they go, Jesus is in town. Jesus is in town, man. Let's go. And so your mates take you. But of course, you're running a bit late because you can't run. You know, you just, you can't walk. It takes a while to get, you get there and you're too late because the crowd is so full. That's okay. You've got some creative friends. Uh, they just hop on the roof and uh, they open up the roof. And they drop you down right in front of Jesus. They put a hole in someone's roof and do that. Jesus stops preaching. The crowd hushes. Jesus looks at you and your friends. There you are lying on the mat. What are you thinking? I reckon you're thinking this this is the moment. This is it. I can't believe we got here. He's going to heal me. And all Jesus does is look at you and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And I reckon if you were honest with yourself as a paralyzed man in that moment, you'd be feeling 
gutted. Jesus, that's not why I'm here. Can't you see why I'm here? Can't you see why my friends brought me? I've come to get my legs fixed. And all you say is, son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, is that relevant to me? For this man, I believe what was relevant to him was what I'm going to call a felt need. He felt his biggest need was to walk again. He felt that was what was relevant to him. He probably felt that this was what his greatest need was. It was a felt need. And what Jesus does in this moment is take this opportunity to teach, to teach everyone who was there and make it abundantly clear, not so much what, well, what the real need is, rather than what the felt need is. And that since the time has come and the kingdom of God is near, that this man's real need was not to walk. That's a felt need. His real need was to be forgiven. Because that man, like everybody else in the crowd that day, like everybody here in this crowd today, his real need was to have his sins forgiven. And Jesus has come to meet that real need. And that's why Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And, that, and in that moment, not everybody there is happy with what Jesus has just said and done. You can tell that from verse 21. Look at verse 21. It says there that you know, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, they're not happy with him at all. And I think they ask what, what I'm going to call a fairly reasonable question. Now, why does he talk like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And it's a reasonable question because when you think about it, the question is right. Who really can forgive sins but God alone? It's, it's a bit like this, you know, if, um, if, I, if I, you know, we're packing up church, we're heading outside and I'm going to my car and I drive, I, you know, I walk, past, I walk past Barry's car, right? And I get my keys out of my pocket and I, I look at his car with his nice paint job and I go, I'm gonna get my, and I scratch into his juco there, you know, Peter loves Sarah with a big love heart, right? beautiful you know and then here's Barry coming to his car right and his beautiful car his beautiful paint job and he's like he's rapeable how dare you do that Pete and, 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 and as, as I'm there with, with the keys still in my hand Trudy's walking past and Trudy goes Pete it's okay I forgive you now can Trudy really say that it's, it's Trudy's got nothing to do with it right it's between me and Barry that, it's that kind of issue that the, the Pharisees and the teachers of all have picked up. They've actually got it right to go, look, when you sin, and remember, sin, sin is the word for rebellion. It, it's, it's when you choose to, to ignore God, whether quietly or whether not so quietly or aggressively. It's that idea where, where either politely or not politely, you, you, you basically say to God, look, God, I'm just going to run life my own way without you so you can just back off a little bit. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to myself. I'm going to do what I want. It's my life to live my way. And you ignore God and you, well, you, you rebel against him. Sin is that concept there. And when we sin, we sin against God. And no human being has the right to forgive that for us. Only God who we've actually sinned against. Just like only Barry here, who I've actually done the wrong again. 
Only he could forgive me. Only God can forgive us our sins. Their question is right. But Jesus wants to show them that though their question is right, he's not committing blasphemy. Because he actually has the authority to do this. And he, he proves it to them in a funny way or an interesting way. Look, look at how he tries to prove it to them. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Now, as Jesus tries to explain this, I want you to think hard about the question he asked there in verse 23. If you've got your Bibles open, look at verse 23 closely. His question there is, which is easier to say? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say to the paralytic, get up and walk? Now, what is the answer to that question? The way to get the clarity on the answer is to notice the three-letter word say is the important word. Which is the easier one to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, get up and walk? I think once you notice the key word is say, the answer is pretty obvious, right? It's far easier to say your sins are forgiven. And why is it like that? Because no one can tell. You can't tell. Nothing actually changes. You, know, you can't physically change. Your sins are forgiven. Well, I don't know if you are. I don't know if that word's true or not. How do I tell? But if you say to a paralyzed man, hey, you know, get up and walk, everyone looks and goes, well, is it going to come true or not? It is far easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, far harder to say to a paralyzed man, get up and walk. Now, how do I say that? Say that. It is far harder to do. To do the forgiving of sins, oh man, that's really hard. That'll cost Jesus his life. That'll send him to the cross. The doing of the forgiveness of sins is really difficult. But the saying is, is, is well, is easy. But what Jesus is doing here is, what, what he does, he goes, um, the logic here is go, well, Look at the logic in verse 24. This is where he spells it out. Verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. And they had seen remarkable things today. But can you see the logic of what Jesus is doing here? Jesus then does the harder thing to say to prove that he can do the easier thing to say. He does the harder to prove the easier. And it's a bit like, I, you know, if, if, I can, if I can do a long jump that's five metres long, then you know I can do an easier jump, which is only three metres. Okay? You do the harder to prove you can do the easier. That's the logic here. And Jesus is saying, that it's not blasphemy. It's a crucial moment about, is Jesus divine or not, isn't it? It's not blasphemy because he genuinely... As the Son of God, or God the Son, has the authority to forgive sins. To actually deal with this man's greatest need. And that's the need he deals with first. Before in his compassion and generosity, he also deals with the felt need of being able to walk again.
and it is actually isn't it that's right it is the uh the 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 the, the greatest need and the felt need because remember jesus does talk elsewhere doesn't he about if your right eye causes you to sin pluck it out because you're better off going to heaven with one eye than both eyes and going to hell or if your leg if your arm you know if you if you your leg you know better to better to enter heaven maimed than to enter hell fully you know fully able there's a sense here where this man's greatest need was his forgiveness walking you know a significant felt need but not his greatest need and jesus come to well he comes with the authority to teach comes with the authority to heal comes with the authority to drive out demons he's come with the authority to just to call a human being to say come and follow me and, and they do but he's come with the authority to forgive sins and of course all that brings me back to the issue of relevancy and what's relevant in your life and the issue of real needs and felt needs now i want to talk to people first as i as i apply this i want to talk to those among us who here who are here today and are actually still investigating christianity someone who's here and is not yet uh you know just still trying to work am i going to follow jesus am i not what am i going to do with jesus i'm still investigating actually if you're here and you're someone like that man we are so glad you're here you are so welcome we love having you here and one of the great reasons to be here today is because of this whole issue of well, what is really relevant in my life. And I wonder if, as you ponder that question, what is relevant in your life? If I asked you today, you know, what is, what is really relevant in your life? I, I, I wonder, you'd often think about your problems first. That, that's actually the first thing you go for. You know, what's, 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 what's most relevant in my life is, is my health. Or it's, I've got marriage problems. Or maybe it's stress. That's something to do with work. Maybe there's some trouble you've gotten yourself into. Man, that is what is the most relevant thing right now. Maybe it's a part of your personality that you'd love to change that you can't. Maybe you've got a family problems. Maybe you've got an addiction. I don't know. And you're easy. This is, man, this is what's relevant for me. And I don't want to minimize any of those things. But Jesus here is, is saying to us, in all honesty, none of those things are the most relevant or pressing issue in your life. The biggest issue, the biggest part of relevancy is sin. And our each single person's rejection of God, each person's rebellion against him, all that offense we've caused God where we've ever quietly or not so quietly told him the to butt off and we'll just run life our own way. And the forgiveness of sins, like that is the most relevant issue in any human being's life it's not about what car you drive or what you know what what house am i going to buy or and felt needs real needs forgiveness of sins and i'm hoping today as you come today you might be going gee i've got to really think outside my little world now i've got to i've actually got to have a broader view of it this is the real need, the real need that Jesus came to fix. And it is so relevant for everyone. We all need forgiveness. And if you're unclear, if your real need in this way has, has been met, whether your sins have been forgiven, then please talk to someone here today who's who maybe brought, who come along with you, who's, who's a Christian person. Talk to me if you want. I'd love to talk to you about it. It is the most relevant thing. And of course, if you're someone here today and you already are a Christian and in that sense, you've already put your trust in Jesus and you know your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done for you at the cross. Then please have 
the clarity of vision to see in a sustained and ongoing way what is still of the greatest relevance for you and every single person around you. So often our own worlds can be, our own lives, our prayer lives in some ways can be be so dominated by felt needs. And we have little time for the kingdom and little vision to seek it first. For this really is the thing that is of eternal relevance for you and for everyone for all time. And how about we pray that we might keep it first and foremost in our hearts and minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as you came in your son Jesus, you came for our greatest need. Not just our felt needs, which so often just would have been selfishly wanted by us, but rather you came for our greatest need, our own forgiveness. And Father, we thank you for that. And we pray, Father, that in our lives we would continue to think through what is relevant for people, that we in a sustained and ongoing way would seek first the kingdom of God. We pray for your help to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.